I was at the Gold's Gym, and a couple of Pastor Mark's brothers are playing. Uh, well, one of them was playing racquetball, and then the son was playing, and uh, his father was sitting there, and some guy looked at me and said, you're not with this Boer clan, are you? I said, well, yeah, I have to be guilty. I said, wow, these are some tough folks right here. So uh, it's good to be a part of the family, good to be up here during the Christmas season. I'm sure all of you have had a wonderful, uh, hopefully had a wonderful uh, Christmas time and, and a holiday season here. Um, looking forward to this morning, and I highly respect what's going on in this church. I I'm just always amazed to hear uh, the reports of how many people get saved here. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And uh, that's not just um, what goes on here. It's got to be you, the people that are bringing people in. So that's really, really, really good. And it says a lot about uh, this place here being a real church and a place where people can come and find God. That's really what we uh, desire as ministers to always do, whether you're a, a home pastor here, whether you're a traveling minister, help people to find God in such a real way that they want to live with Him every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, the, the concept that's out there in the world today, and I speak very generally now, so it has nothing to do with you unless it has something to do with you. <laughs> you, have to, you have to know how I said that. I meant that really nicely, you know, because... You could, you could speak something to a congregation. Everybody thinks, well, he's talking right at me. But I, I may not be talking to you at all. But generally speaking, the idea of church out there is really relegated to one day a week at a specific time for what? In, in a specific place. And for most people, if they can get to that, that place at the specific time, that one time a week... They really feel like they've been to church. It doesn't necessarily mean what goes on during that time, whether they get anything or whether they don't. Because, you know, we've got a lot going on in our lives in the kind of day that we're living. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of distractions. So it's very possible for someone to sit in a service, because I've done it myself, and maybe only pay attention to a portion of what's being said. And if that's the case, then maybe we didn't get all that we could have gotten. So if you put those numbers together, what are the percentages that in a broad stroke, not just even the United States, but across the world, that really what people assume to be Christianity, church, a relationship with God may not necessarily include God very much at all. Isn't that possible? I know it's possible. I look back at my life before I learned some of the things that I'm learning. And, and uh, you know, as much as I loved him, it didn't necessarily mean I included him in on everything that I did. Maybe every once in a while you'd have an experience with God and that would almost seem to carry over for months or maybe even years. In fact, maybe if we thought back to one of those great experiences with God, the possibility is it was 10 years ago. Oh, I had an amazing experience with God. It was awesome and really life-changing. And you say, wow, that's incredible. That was wonderful. When did that happen? Well, that happened about 15 years ago. See, that, that would be just as strange as saying, I had the most amazing steak you've ever had in your life. It was life-changing. It was to die for. When did you have that steak? 30 years ago. 
Is it in another country? No, actually, it's across the street. <laughs> See, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? Think, for, think with me for a moment as we kind of get into the things that we're sharing right now. You know, we think about friendships, and especially that we watch this, as my wife and I do, and some of you, this, this should be for every one of us should be able to relate to this. Especially with our kids, you know, you see that some of the childhood friends that they have just start to slip away as they get older, and then you get into maybe past middle school, into, you know, your, your, some of your freshman year, the high school years, and, and you get new friends. And then there's a, a whole nother, you know, segue because then once you graduate from high school and you go on to either, you know, some type of job and career or you go to some type of tech school or college, university, all of a sudden you get some different friends. And I know how strange it was for me to come home from Wheaton College back to New York because some of my friends didn't even come home the times that I came home. And the ones that did, it was just, wasn't it kind of different? So you think about that. What happens? Well, a real connection. And we've talked about connections during the service already. I know PJ was making some comments about we have connect groups. Well, think of what are those groups trying to do? Get you connected to something that's going to keep you, well, keep you mindful and experiencing God, mindful of God, mindful of the vision that this church is bringing people, which isn't just the church, it's God, right? Connecting people. A real connection is built with time, tangibility, and shared experiences. And the more time you spend with somebody, if you really like them, the more time you want to spend with somebody. And the more tangibility you have with that person, the more tangibility you want with that person, and then the more shared experiences you have, it just snowballs, doesn't it? Because when you meet somebody, and there may be a real good acquaintance, but you know, you like them. How come you're not hanging out with so-and-so? Well, I kind of like them. Well, you, you don't really like them a lot? Well, you know, not so much. Or you talk to your kids, and they've got a certain friend. Well, how come you're not hanging out with so-and-so? Well, they're in such-and-such such a class, and I'm not with them anymore, but I'm with these girls now in this particular class. And, and so your time now is, is diverted from what that individual was, and the tangibility is no longer there, and kind of out of sight, out of mind. And no longer are you having piled-up experiences, and it just starts to do what? The connection starts to wane or become less. Isn't that real for every one of us? You know, you think about some of these people, and there are individuals in my life that I could be with them once a year, and that once a year, it would be like I never left. Have you ever met people like that? Because you truly love them, you're just not around them that much anymore. And I'm talking about some people right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that, that I used to hang around a lot, and now I'm not around them a lot. But when I am, it's kind of like the good old days, right? And so in a sense, you kind of rationalize that it's okay because it's still great. I'm presenting some different scenarios that all of us experience on a regular basis. But if you take this into our experiences with God, 
What part of Scripture seems to make it become a reality that you choose God once a year? Yeah, but, but when I'm with them, it's awesome. Or you have one experience in a lifetime. The time you spend with them is once a week. Come on, our, our world is filled with this. Limitations and boundaries. Think about this. We have one day a year for Mother's Day. So only one day a year can you appreciate your mother. And one day a year, you can tell your dad, get him a shirt, get him a tie. Nowadays, you know, we don't wear many ties, so we don't do ties anymore. Socks, okay. <laughs> but think about how the world trains us to make things so segmented. And relationships are no longer really important. I mean, one of the greatest punishments of a child nowadays, a teenager... Is when they mess up that they actually have to go face to face and say, I'm sorry. Not face to face. Can I text them? Facebook them, Twitter. All right, I'll even call them. No, face to face, not face to face. Why? Because we're losing our relationships. If we don't have a real good connection with people we see, how are we going to have a real good connection with someone we don't see? Amen? I mean, you know, you almost kind of wonder if, if it would be easier to text God. Maybe that would really help us to have a better relationship with Him. I know I'm being facetious, but think about these thoughts. Because as I get into just a few little, very simple thoughts this morning about building a relationship with God, I would love to think that the things I share this morning might, be, might stay with you long enough that this new year, 2016, you begin from the very beginning of this new year, building such tangibility to God that you begin to find Him actually working in your life in every area, and you have testimonies and experiences every week. Where when you come to church, instead of saying, hey, what happened this week? I mean, think about the time we just went through, Christmas just a couple of days ago. And when I was a little kid, when you got with your friends, the first thing you said is, what did you get? And the first thing they said is, what did you get? And you began to talk about what you got. Well, what if we could come to church and the first thing we said is, what did the Lord do for you this week? What, what, tell me the experience that you had. What did he say to you this week? Did he say something to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, like every day. Well, tell me a few of them. What if that was the course of our conversation? Because what's the possibility all across America when we have our few moments of, hey, greet one another, how are you doing? Not really good. The leg's worse. Yeah, I'm, I'm coughing, but don't get near me. You know, I, I, I'm, I've got a cold. Um, you know, so-and-so died yesterday, and it's really not good. Yeah, uh, the finances are terrible. Oh, yeah, the kids aren't home. They've run away. And, yeah, our marriage is, is, is headed towards divorce. And what's the possibility in the churches all across America, across the world, that those are really the testimonies that we have, which are more of the negative than the testimonies of what God is doing firsthand and what He did for us that week. Wouldn't that be cool? All right. Over here in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to talk about three things today and really and truly 
the third one is, is really simple. It's just that God is becoming real in your life. But the first two are really how to begin to allow that to happen, for God to become real in your life. And I'm not going to go very long and trust in that I'll have a, a little bit of time because wouldn't it be wonderful to start this new year out without any sickness in your body, yeah. with all the pain gone? And if there's some of you here this morning where you're wondering about how you're going to make ends meet because you know, you've, you've been on disability, you've not been able to get back on your job, wouldn't that be great to know that 2016 you can get your job back? Amen. Or you're not hindered from being able to excel on your job. Come on, let's start this new year out, praise the Lord, with a bang and let God do some great things. All right, well, real simple. The first thing we're going to do is, is just begin to explain some things. And I really don't know if I have to explain this, but let's do it anyhow. Talk about some things concerning, is God everywhere? And most of us that have been church would say, without a doubt, absolutely, yes, God is everywhere. Some of us may question if we've not been churched. Well, in other words, if you didn't grow up in a church, you might question whether he is or whether he isn't. Let's look at some thoughts here from the scriptures. And we're over here in Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at verse 5, and it says, By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. Well, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. The King James says they must believe that he is. And you could say, well, where is he? And the answer would be he is everywhere. God is everywhere. And if you believe that God is everywhere and you're not experiencing him, it must mean because you're looking in the wrong direction or you have your eyes on the wrong thing. Because if someone is everywhere and you're not seeing him, then it must be that your attention is distracted or your focus isn't real good, right? I mean, the disciples asked Jesus some questions when they couldn't cast out that demon out of that little boy that, that was thrown into the fire and thrown into the water. They said, how come we couldn't cast it out? The message Bible says, because you're not taking me seriously. There's no focus to your life. There's no sense of God in your life. So if God is everywhere and we're not sensing him, it's because we must be sensing something else. If we're not feeling him, we must be feeling something else. If we're not seeing him, we must be seeing something else. Does that not make sense? Because if he wasn't everywhere, then we would say, well, we, we're just not looking in the right direction. But if God is everywhere, then any direction you look, you should be able to what? See him, find him, feel him, experience him. So the only reason why we wouldn't is because we're caught up with something else, an alternate reality. Would you agree with me in that? All right. Well, Enoch found God. And once he found God, he began to walk with him. The scripture says for 300 years. So he's kind of outside of Jesus. He's, in a sense, someone that I want to pattern my life after. And that is walking with God, experiencing God. In other words, if you think for just a second, going back to the Garden of Eden... What kind of experience did Adam and Eve have with God before there was sin? Wasn't it the most natural, normal? You wouldn't have called it supernatural back then. 
Hey, Adam, are you having a supernatural experience? He's saying, well, I don't really know what a supernatural experience is, but I'm experiencing God all day long. Does that count? Because what was natural for Adam and Eve was to talk with God. It was so natural to talk with God that even after they sinned, they could still talk with God. Which is amazing, really, if you think about it. After they sinned, they're still hearing God in complete sentences. Do you see how far we've gone from something that was so normal and natural? Now we're calling out to God, and most of the time, our prayer time is a monologue. It's just us doing all the talking, and we're longing for God to talk back to us. And yet, here we are, the children of God, seated in heavenly places where we don't have to go very far to find them. Kind of like, hey, right there. Now, does that tell you what? tells you what happens years and years and years after things get distorted enough that we actually think God's so far away or it's so difficult to hear him and yet he's seated right here right next to us and sinners in the garden could hear him so well because it was normal for them to hear God which makes you think if the picture is painted and tainted a certain way, isn't that the reason why we accept certain things to be the way they are? In other words, because man walked and talked with God in the garden, it was so normal to do so, even though he sinned, what was so normal to his consciousness became the reality that he had even after he sinned, which is he knew God was coming and he hid from God's presence and he heard God's voice even as a sinner. Which would say, if we got born again in a community of people that were hearing God constantly, it would be to us a conscious thought that why shouldn't I also hear God so normally? But if we're in the midst of a church society that's around the world that doesn't hear God very much, then what happens? We succumb to the level of what we're surrounded by. Birds of a feather... Flock together, sure. So what's the possibility this morning that you actually hear him? That you do recognize him? That he is real to you? Could it be possible? All right, let's look at something else right here. I think this is really good as well. Psalm 139. I don't want to take much time with this, but this is really, really good. I love these thoughts. It says, Oh, I'm going to look here in verse 1. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get up. I never am out of your sight. You know everything I'm, I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. This is the Message Bible. It goes on to say, I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark at night. I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. In other words, it kind of seems to me, as you're turning over to Matthew chapter 6, like God is everywhere. Maybe it should be easier than we've made it to find him. 
Let me ask you a thought right now. Just think, help me with this. What kind of benefits do you think it would be to find God in your life? Someone just give me a thought. If you found God and God became real to you, do you think it would affect your physical body? Is there anything in Scripture that seems to give us the idea that if you had some type of connection with God, being connected to Him, that your physical body would have some type of well-being? Is there anything in Scripture? I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, she just touched the hem of his garment, didn't even touch him. Just the clothes he was wearing and what took place. Something came out of him, went into her physical body because she made a connection by faith with God. Jesus didn't even know who touched him. So it wasn't the faith of Jesus. It was the faith of the woman. Is there anything in Scripture that would seem to indicate that if you had a connection with God, it would, in, it would help you financially? What about if something seemed very impossible? Do you think God's able to produce things and to create things that seem to be impossible with man but are possible with God to them that believe? I mean, what about if you were trying to feed a whole group of people, like let's say 10, 15, 20, maybe even 30,000 people at once? And all you had was a little boy's lunch. Is there anything about a story that seems to say, if you prayed a prayer and connected with God, all of a sudden this little lunch would turn into more than enough food and you'd have 12 baskets full left over after everyone was completely satisfied. Now, how does that kind of stuff work? If you seem to be out in the desert, can God get food to you, even if he has to give it to you by a raven? Can God bring in a different, a different uh, pattern of the, the weather and bring in from a different side of where the weather would be coming the quail? And all of a sudden you've got quail everywhere and you can have whatever you want. I mean, can God do all that kind of stuff? Does it seem to benefit your life that if you were connected to God, your physical body would be completely healed? Your financial status would be completely well. Now think about that in the earth today. The things that man seeks... If you had financial prosperity and you were well taken care of and your physical body was completely healed, what else would you really need? But is there anything else in Scripture that seems to indicate if you're connected to God, all of a sudden all of your care is gone and you have peace of mind and peace in your heart? And there's joy in your life and you never have to be downtrodden. Never have to be in despair. Come on, think for just a moment. What's the possibility that being connected with God would literally solve all the problems that man seeks to find himself? Would it be worth it on a daily basis to let God begin to do things in your life? Come on, He is everywhere, folks. We think about this from Scripture's perspective. I mean, God really does believe and know Himself. That he is everywhere to be found and it is not difficult to do so. Look over here in Matthew and you're in chapter 6 right now. And I want to start reading here in verse 25. Because I want to make this very, very simple in the next five minutes. Remember, we're going to have some things that we can do by the time this service is over. That you can begin to practice in 2016 before the first... uh, uh, half of the year or even the first quarter of the year is over, you can begin to have experiences so many so that you can notch your belt all the way around. And if you can build tangible experiences with God, 
Number one, if you can get one, you can get two. If you can get two, you can get four. If you can get four, you can get eight. In other words, you can have as much as you want, as, as often as you want it, and go as far as you'd like to go. There are no limitations and no boundaries from God's side toward you. It's just from your side toward him. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than the outer appearance and the clothes you hang on your body. And then he says something very interesting here. He says, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. How would you like to be careless in the care of God? Jesus said in the last day, men's hearts will begin to fail with fear for the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. What's he talking about? Heart attacks, stress, anxiety. Come on, most of medical science are figuring out that the condition of the way you see life is usually the beginning of the problems that you have physically in your body. The stress, the anxiety, the care, the worry, the concern. Come on, that is so tantamount today that if you could bottle up peace and sell it, you'd be a gazillionaire, wouldn't you? Come on, this is a day right now where there's so much trouble, so much anxiety, so much pressure on people. Jesus prophesied about it, that there would be a day that it would be like this. This is the day. What would it be like to be carefree in the care of God? Not a care in the world. In other words, someone said, you don't care. Well, that's because I killed my care meter. It doesn't work anymore. I don't register worry or concern. Let me ask you a question. If you didn't care about anything, could you be afraid? You're not tempted to be fearful if you're not caring about something. Jesus talks about the birds, okay? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's go on a little further and see what he says. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead, look at the fashions. Walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever noticed and seen the color and design that's quite like it? The 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. Look at what he just did. To help you to begin to make a connection with God, Jesus went to something so simple, but something so overlooked in the day we live. Come on, let's go back 100 years and we're all in horse and buggy. You've got plenty of time for reflection on your way to church. If you're walking, you have plenty of time to look around and see things that people are missing today. You know, Boise is not that big of a city. What if you lived in New York City or in Chicago and all you ever actually were walking on was concrete and asphalt. In other words, you were only participating 24 hours a day in the things that man made. And you weren't participating at all in the things that God made. Now, I know I gave this as, a, as an example the last time I was here, but let me share it again real quickly. If you were in Times Square, New York City, Come on, real, next week, there's going to be the New Year's Eve service. You know, Dick Clark used to do it all the time. Now, uh, what's his name that does? Ryan Seacrest does it, I guess, is going to do it. 
And, and they'll show you all the lights of New York City, the countdown of the clock, you know, to bring in a brand new year. So if you were in New York, New York City, Times Square, on a beautiful clear night, and the stars were out, could you see the stars? And everybody says no. And the answer is because what? It's too bright. Too many lights. Well, what do you mean? Who made those lights? Man did. But if you were to go 30 miles east, no, that's the wrong direction. You'd be in the ocean. 30 miles west. <laughs> My oldest daughter, you know, when you tell her, tell her to go left or right, she has to do this for some reason, you know, in order to get that right. I almost want to have it east and west like this for myself when I'm thinking of that illustration because I get it wrong every once in a while. Okay, 30 miles west into upstate New York, out in the country, and you were to look up to see the stars at night, would you be able to see the stars? Yes. Now think about this. The countryside is what, what God made. The city is what man made. The closer you're attached to the things that man makes, the closer you're attached to the society and the life and the reality that man says is real the less chance you're going to have of finding God. The more you retreat and begin to look at and contemplate the world that God made, the easier it's going to be to find Him. Why? Because God is in everything that He made. So Jesus helps us right here to begin to build a connection. And what does He do? He brings us to some simple thoughts like, have you ever noticed the birds? Well, yeah, but I mean, what, what, what do they mean? No, 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 wait a minute. Look at the birds. We're so busy, we don't even want to look to see what God does even with a bird. That they have plenty of food somehow. And they don't think about it. But it's always there. And if God would care for a little bird like that, how much more would he care for you? So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to begin to acknowledge that God is everywhere. You're fussing about whether or not you've got a fourth outfit or a 15th outfit. Where a hundred years ago, they just had one outfit. One pair of shoes. You cleaned them off for Sunday and you got them all muddied up during the week. Today, see, we're into so much of the outer wear. And what does Jesus say? You want to make a connection with me? Have you ever noticed the flowers? Even the wildflowers. Most of them man has never even looked at. And look at how God takes care of each one of them. I mean, with all the print and all the fashion, people today look shabby alongside of what God has made, just in the wildflowers alone. What's he trying to do? To get us to stop step back from what we're doing and all of our distractions and begin to notice Him in the simplest of little things. The first thing I want you to know is, is God everywhere? Can you notice Him everywhere? Because the moment you notice Him and begin to notice Him anywhere, that's when you can find Him everywhere. Now let me ask you a question, real simple again, going right back to how we all live. If you're living with somebody, whether it's a, you got a spouse, and let's just say you got children, all right, the typical American family, and you choose not to notice anything that anyone does, what will you be doing? You'll be cutting yourself off from a real good connection. 
But notice on the other hand, you find yourself saying all the time, hey, thank you for what you did. That was really good. Hey, and you're talking to your daughter or your son. You did a great job with what I asked you to do. Really good. And also I noticed what else you did that was beyond what I asked. What happens when you begin to notice and you begin to make acknowledgement of what's going on around you, especially concerning relationships? What begins to happen? Does it make it go further away or does it bring people into what? A greater respect and harmony. All of a sudden your kids are like, you noticed that? Yeah, I noticed that. That's like really, really good. What does that cause a child want to do? More. And the more you notice and the more you acknowledge, the more people want to do. The more people do, the more you can acknowledge and the more you can what? Notice. Do you think that's possibly the same thing with God? Maybe God's actually put himself in everything that he made so much so that when you begin to acknowledge the smallest of little things, it causes God to say, would you like to see more? And if you want to see more, you can say, yeah, Lord, I'd love to see you everywhere. You will? You really do? I really do. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you come home saying, you should see the things that I noticed today about God in my life. You wouldn't believe it. In fact, people said about me today, you're so lucky. I walked in this particular store and just like that, all of a sudden someone comes up and says, hey, here's, here's an extra 20% off. I'm driving down the road and such and such. I pulled into the parking lot, there it was. And the next thing you know, things just start going right for you. Like as though someone's maybe doing what? Kind of pushing and pulling levers so that you can find and acknowledge and notice him because he's everywhere. And if it needs to start with the smallest of little things, isn't it interesting how God can do amazing things? Kind of like a friend of mine that saw this hawk way up in the sky, and it was on a day like today where it was freezing cold and the ponds were all frozen. And he saw this hawk way up in the sky, and he said he thought it had a pretty large animal in its, in its claws. He couldn't tell what it had until it flew over a pond and dropped what it had in its claws. And as it got closer to see what actually was coming down from the sky from a very high, high altitude, it, as it was falling, he noticed it was a big, a big uh, piece of wood. And that piece of wood hit the corner of the pond. And when it hit the corner of the pond, it cracked the ice. He said, within about five minutes I'm standing there, I watched the ice literally crack, 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 crack until there was at least a 10 by 10 square of fresh water. And then immediately I saw all the birds flock right to the fresh water. And he said, and then I realized that night how many animals would come and get a drink of water because they couldn't get a drink of water anywhere else. And look at the evidence of God causing a hawk to grab something, to drop it at the right place so that it would hit the water, crack the water in the right place so that all kinds of birds and animals could have something to drink. And now you've got the ripple effect like you threw a, a pebble in a pond of the grace of God and you're seeing God everywhere. And if that's one place where you could say, God, that's you, that's your grace, that's your presence, that's the Holy Spirit, that's how you do what you do. Man, I'm acknowledging that. Why wouldn't God say, would you like to see the ripples in the pond of your life? And all of a sudden, the things that we so quickly miss on a regular basis because we're so busy, all of a sudden now we're beginning to take them in. 
And the more we see, the more we want to see. The first step in your life to a real interesting time and a relationship with God is beginning to notice that He's everywhere. The second part is actually using God, or in other words, experimenting with or enjoying the benefits of God being real in your life. Because of the sake of time here today, and of course this is my first message here talking to you this morning, so I'll I'll probably do a better job here this afternoon with the next one. So I'm experimenting on you a little bit. Remember Elisha? Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Well, when Elijah was taken up into heaven, the mantle, a mantle back then was just a piece of an animal skin, like a piece of clothing. But it represented something, and it represented that God was with Elijah. And Elijah said, if you see me go, then the the double portion of that anointing will be upon your life. Well, he went up into heaven, and the mantle fell to the ground. Elisha went over and picked it up. What's the first thing that he did? Well, he had to prove whether or not the power that was on Elisha, in other words, God's presence that was on Elijah, was now in the mantle. Because if God wasn't in that piece of cloth, and he puts that piece of cloth on, nothing's going to happen. Right? So the first thing he's got to do is he's got to find out if God's in the cloth. Once he knows that God's in that cloth and he has that mantle on, at that point, then he can begin to do what? He can begin to take advantage of the presence of God. Or in other words, use that presence for the benefit of the things of God. So what does he do? Takes that cloth, he wraps it up, and he goes over to the water Jordan. And they had just come over by a miracle. Elijah had slapped the water and it it parted and they walked over on dry ground. So now Elisha has the same mantle. He has to find out whether God's in it. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he smotes the water and the water parts. What does that tell you? This mantle I'm holding on to, holy smoke, God's in there, right? Isn't that a pretty good proof text to the reason why you'd believe at that point if God, who's in that cloth, that you just smote the water and it parted, wouldn't God do something else? Well, you begin reading Elisha's journey and you begin to see some amazing things. There's times where God would tell Elisha, say this, and he would say it and a miracle would take place. There's other times Elisha would come up with the idea of what the miracle would be himself. One of the prophets was cutting down a tree and the axe head flew off into the water. And the iron obviously sank. He walked over with just, you know, a stick and said, Elisha, this was a borrowed axe. What are we going to do? He said, well, where did it go in? He said, well, it went right over there. He said, get me a twig. He said, get me a twig. What's a twig going to do to help you to get the iron out of the water? But remember, the presence of God is in that what? Cloth. And if the presence of God is in the cloth, then the presence of God is on Elisha. When he grabbed the twig, he put the presence into the twig. Very scientific. Think about it for a second. The presence is on him. 
It goes into the twig. He puts the twig where the axe went in, where the iron went in, and the iron is magnetized to the twig and floats. And he says to the young man, now go pick up the iron axe head. He came up with that one himself. Why? Because God's so real to him, there's a working relationship because there's a connection. Come on, if all of a sudden lights started going off here, we'd begin to do some process of elimination. If they all went off, it's possible we blew a fuse. You have to go to the fuse box. If only a few went out, then we'd have to find out why only a few went out. If only one went out, we'd just assume a light bulb went out. Come on, process of elimination to do, do, to do what? Get the, get the connection back where we can take advantage of the connection. Traveling with Brother Hagin, you know, I had some real interesting times. And I remember my first opportunity to, quote unquote, work a miracle. Now, I'm, I'm pretty well Baptist at that point still. Speaking in other tongues, but came from a Baptist background. We didn't see any miracles. And we always prayed, Lord, if it be thy will. And we found out that he really didn't want to do anything because we never saw anything happen. So Brother Hagin was, was, had these people lined up that had short legs. And he looks at me and he says, Jim, you can do this. This is fresh on the very first, well, probably within the first year that I was traveling with him. And I'd never had anything like this happen in my life. He looked at me and said, you can do this. And I said, I can do what? He said, you can grow this leg out. And I said, I can? He said, yes, you can. <laughs> he had to convince me. I said, okay, what do I do? And he said, well, get down there and check this woman. Well, here she is tucked up against the seat, you know. And, and I went ahead and grabbed her legs and pulled them up. And sure enough, it wasn't like it was just a little tiny bit off. We had about a three-inch gap right there. So I'm thinking, great, you know. This is, this, is, this is really something. I said, so what do I do? He says, command it to come out in Jesus' name. Now, when he said it to me, because I'm a person, first of all, I'm a New Yorker. We're, we're, we're loud, okay. When I drive, I usually drive loud horn, you know, and, and I'm vocal. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to anybody here, but I was in New York just recently, and they all ex- knew up and upstate, uh, actually in Newtown, Connecticut, they all understood exactly what I was talking about, all right? So he said it to me so nice, it didn't really inspire me. So I said it just, just exactly like he did. I, I looked at these lady, this lady's legs like this, and I said, come out in Jesus' name. He slaps me on the shoulder and said, how'd we do? And I said, we didn't do very good at all. I said, it didn't move. He said, it didn't move. I said, no, it didn't move at all. And then he slaps me hard and he said, I said, tell it to come out in Jesus' name. Well, now he inspired me, you know. <laughs> so like a good vocal New Yorker, I looked at her and said, come out in Jesus' name, just like that. I just shouted at it. And all of a sudden, this leg went, whoosh, popped out. Now it's at least three or four inches past the other one. I really wasn't too concerned because I figured she'd been walking on one side of the mountain all her life. Now she can at least see the other side. <laughs> you know. He slaps me and says, how'd we do? I said, we overshot it by three inches. <laughs> he said, what? We overdid what? And I said, and all of a sudden this lady's legs start shaking like this and it starts coming back perfectly. I said, wait, 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 just a minute. And it came back perfectly right there in place. I said, it's perfect, just right. I think, I think he wanted to take back the idea that he said I could do that. <laughs> well, 
starting to get used to what? The idea that God's real. The idea that it's possible maybe he could get involved with somebody. Then the next thing you go from those kind of experiences to other experiences where you begin to test the ground. Come on, I remember the first time the Lord told me. He said to me uh, one night, I was talking to him, and uh, I was making some comments about healing. And he said to me, whatever you do, I'll back you up. I said, well, if that's the case, I'm going to prove it tomorrow. And I'm in this big meeting with about probably about 600 people. And I said, I'm going to prove it tomorrow. So I stepped up on the platform. I said, we're going to have at least two miracles in this place before I leave. Now, I thought when I said that, the Lord would say something to me. He didn't say anything. So I just kept on preaching. And while I'm preaching, I kept throwing that in there, inserting in there the idea that, well, you're going to see, how many miracles are you going to see? And after I said about four or five times, everybody, we're going to see two. I said, that's right, we're going to see two. And I'm saying that kind of going like, okay, what do I do? Because he said he'd back me up. So finally, after half an hour of this, I got so kind of disturbed, like, why aren't you talking to me? I just jumped off the platform and said, you're going to see your first miracle right now. So what were you going to do? I had no idea, but I was going to put myself out there. And the moment I said that, I looked at this lady in the front row. I said, you're the first one. I said, what's wrong with you? This was healing school. She stood up and she said, well, I've got fibromyalgia in my body. I've had it for 30 years, nonstop pain in my body. I walked over to her, didn't even touch her with, the, with, with my hand, just put my hand up, and the power of God came out of my hand, hit her in the top of the head. She fell to the floor. She got back up after a couple seconds. She looked at me, and she said, my God, every single pain is gone. She started shouting. She took off running. The ushers took off running. People took off running and shouting and praising the Lord. Amen. We trained the ushers to run with the people. Sometimes they ran with the people for one reason. Sometimes they ran with the people for another reason. Amen. <laughs> When she came back and she was so elated, everyone was praising the Lord. I looked at her and I said, this is, you know, this isn't rocket science. I said, but tomorrow's Thursday, today's Wednesday. And I said, on Thursday, we lay hands on the sick. I said, so if you need something else, come back tomorrow. She looked at me. She said, well, I could only come today. I said, well, praise the Lord. Look what you did. You got your healing. Remember, the Lord said he would back me up. I said, we're going to have two miracles today. So God's helping me to find the two people that need it. Come on, think about this. Now you're starting to experiment with what? Not only do you recognize that he is everywhere because you're beginning to see him, now you're getting ready to do what? Begin to participate with the idea that he's there. So instead of doing like this, man, I saw some great things today because I wanted to, now I'm actually getting my gloves on and I'm going to go out there and start to see things take place because I'm going to initiate and God's going to initiate. Does that make sense? Well, I kept on preaching. I said, well, we got at least one more miracle left. And I'm preaching away. Half an hour later, I'm still kind of frustrated because, see, I didn't really get, get it very well, you know. How come, Lord, you're not telling me more stuff to do? So all of a sudden, half an hour later, I jumped off the platform and said, you're going to see your next miracle. The moment I said that, my eyes fastened on a lady about four or five rows back. I said, you're the next one. What's wrong with you? She said, I got bone spurs on the bottom of my heel, at least three spurs on this one heel. She said, I, I haven't put my heel down in a long time. It's very, very painful. I said, step out on the aisle. You're the next one to get, get this healing, get this miracle. I said, on the count of three, you lift up your foot and you slam it into the ground. It's either going to hurt really bad or it's going to be healed, one of the two. <laughs> Amen. And I, I counted, one, two, three. She picked it up. She slammed it down. And all of a sudden, the look on her face was, and she started slamming it like this. And she goes, my God, they're all healed. They're all healed. She ran around the room. Ushers ran around the room. People ran around the room. <laughs> 
Well, they all came back. I looked at her and I said the same thing I said to this woman up in the front. I said, well, tomorrow's the day we lay hands on the sick. If you need anything else, you come back tomorrow. She looked at me and said the same thing the lady said in the front. She said, well, today's the only day that I could come. Now, isn't that interesting? Because now I'm starting to get the idea that God's real. And I'm starting to do what? I'm starting to put my gloves on instead of just sitting back and waiting to see that God's real, which is the first thing. You can begin to see God in your life in all kinds of places because he's everywhere. The second stage is beginning to work with God, where on purpose you begin to experience things. A.W. Tozer years ago said, real faith is where you put yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. That means you begin to initiate the works of God. Does that make sense? This lady said, I can't come back. Today's the only day. God helped me to find the two people that couldn't come back. And helped them to get their miracle right that day. The saddest part about it is, I bet you I limited God by saying we're going to have two. That's as big as I could actually conceive of. Maybe if I said we're going to have four miracles, maybe there were two other people that couldn't come back. And they didn't get to have their healing. Because I couldn't think big enough. See, the the moment that you start to work with God... God's no longer just everywhere. You're seeing them. I mean, people would say about my life pretty much on a regular basis as far as the way that things go, you're pretty lucky. Well, it's not luck at all. It's just God's working. Boy, that was really convenient. It wasn't just convenient. That was the Lord. So you'll find that to be just like that yourself. The moment you want to open up your eyes and see God, you can see Him everywhere because He is everywhere. And if you'll start by acknowledging the smallest of little things, what will it begin to do but just begin to build tangibility in your life? I know Drew, our, our, our middle daughter, she had made some comments to me, and I'll say this real quickly because we've got just a few minutes left, about wanting to experience God like this. And the next day she came back and she said, well, I've got two things that I, I experienced she said, I want to share them with you. What do you think about that? I said, well, for sure, that's, that's the Lord, and that's how it works. Well, the following day, she actually had an upset stomach because she had some tacos. And I didn't know this, but the week earlier, she had tacos and had the same type of upset stomach. I mean, when you get gassy pain, it just hurts so bad, you just want to, you know, hit somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, she wouldn't let me pray for her. She was just too ticked. But here's what happened. That evening when she came home, I asked her if she was doing better because I'd been praying for her that day. She said, yes, she was. And that next day, the next morning, because my wife makes these really good tacos and she, we, all, we all love them. She wanted to have another. She looks at me with this smirk on her face. She says, what do you think about me having tacos today? I said, you want to prove that God's everywhere, don't you? And that you can have tacos as much as you want. She said, that's right. I said, have them. Have as many as you can get. She's only a couple left. I said, well, take them both. And I said, here's the thing. I said, you'll eat them. They'll be awesome. And you won't have any problem. And you know it. She said, I know. Came back that night. And I'd forgotten about it. She elbowed me. She goes, tacos were great. I said, well, that seems such a small little thing. That's how it starts. Small little connections. Listen, if the little foxes spoil the vine, why wouldn't it be the little tiny repairs that turns the lights back on? That someone could experience God doing something in their life two times, two days before, and then two days later in a situation where you'd have to say, well, I guess I can't have tacos anymore because I must have a food allergy to these particular problems. And I guess that's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to be real gassy if I have tacos. (laughs) What's the possibility you could do what? You could start to put your gloves on and initiate the anointing. Initiate the power of God and say something like, I'm going to have these tacos. And there's not going to be anything wrong with my body by the time I'm done. 
And what would God do to that? God would love to get involved and say, well, if that's the way you see it, honey, that's the way I see it. Go ahead and have your tacos. And if you want to, put a little hot sauce on that. <laughs> see, what's the possibility that we can work with God like that? Come on, does it, what I'm saying, and I'm trusting I'm doing a good job saying it, but maybe I'm not. But what I'm saying here this morning, is there anybody here in this room that would say, I'd like to see God in my life in a lot of places. I'd love to see things like on the job, get all kinds of intuition and ideas that just come out of the blue and God give me those things. I'd love to see things happen with my family. I'd love to see the smallest of little things. I'd love to see God in creation. Like, like driving in the morning and you see the sun coming up. Why not say, hey, Lord, you're doing a really good job this morning. That's an awesome picture. And I know you did that just for me. Why wouldn't that cause God to say, you know what I did, and I'd like to do more for you today. Would you like to see more? I'd love to see more. All right. Just keep your eyes open because there's all kinds of things that I'm doing in your midst that you've been missing for years. And the moment you begin to see them, acknowledge them, and notice them, we begin to build a connection where you realize how real I am in your life. And the more real I am in your life, the easier it's going to be for you to trust me in the smallest and the biggest of things. Because I want you to know in God's vision, the way God sees things, Seeing a sunset is the exact same thing as seeing somebody get out of a wheelchair. The only difference is the way you see it. Well, it's just a sunset. See, there you go. You dismiss the small little things that God does, which says if you can't acknowledge Him in the smallest of things, you won't acknowledge Him when there's something in your mind that you think is big. Does that make sense? All right, I had this for individuals this morning, so close your eyes just for a second. We're not going to have a, a ministry line up here in the front because of time. The second service, I'm going to do a better job and say this quicker and more accurately, and so we will. But if you've had problems in your hips this morning, you put your hands on your hips right now. If you've had difficulty in your shoulder, especially the left shoulder, you put your hands on that shoulder right now. Right shoulders will do too. glory. Praise the Lord. I'm starting to feel the presence of the Lord right now. See, the moment you begin to acknowledge Him, all of a sudden, and your mind gets quiet, all of a sudden that reality becomes more real than just this flesh of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there somebody in here you've had problems with cholesterol? Your cholesterol isn't good. Your blood pressure is up. If that's you, you go ahead and put your hand on your heart. Come on, get ready to pray a prayer here, just a mass prayer. God's going to touch people all over this room. You're going to sense this warmth because the presence of God is where? It's just, it's relegated to one place or it's every, everywhere. If it's everywhere, then he's right there in your seat with you right now. Come on, if you've had problems with cholesterol, you've had problems with your, with high blood pressure, you put your hand on your heart. Whoo, glory. If you've had problems with, with infection in your body, I don't know where you need to put your hand, but wherever the infection is, just do it. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for your presence being everywhere for these people with infection, with high blood pressure, with some type of hip problem, with shoulder problems. We just release that wonderful glory to flow into these people's bodies. We thank you, Lord, that it's real. And the more real you are, whoo, glory to God, the easier it is to believe you. The easier it is to connect with you, the more real you are. And I thank you right now. Shoulders are being healed, every single one. Hips are being aligned. Lord, I thank you that if there's a necessity of, of, of moving a hip bone, altering the way that the spine comes into the hip and connects, 
then do that right now. Take away every single pain because Jesus removed our pains. I thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. From the top of the head to the soles of the feet, infection disappears. And by your wonderful grace, today, we'll let this be a starting point for us to begin to acknowledge how good you are, how real you are, and how much, Lord God, we are experiencing you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. While Pastor Mark's getting ready to come up, and I'm turning this back over to him, some of you with the shoulders, go ahead and move that around. Some of you with the hip problems, go ahead and stand up and bend over. Move around. See that God hasn't already touched you. Why would it have to take so long? Why wouldn't it be instantaneously God starts to move on you? Instantaneously pain disappears. Instantaneously backs and bones are moved and changed. Maybe before you walk out of this room, you'll find yourself completely well. Maybe before you get home, maybe before you wake up in the morning, you'll find yourself changed. Let's lift our hands and give God praise. He is everywhere. Acknowledge Him this morning. Let Him know how much you believe Him to be in this room, on your life, in your life, working in every area of your life, and how much you want to see it. Not just know that He's there, but to experience Him. Because you really do want to be dear friends where you get used to hanging out with each other every day. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Pastor, you can...